welcome to the Verity Love Poetry Podcast. I'm Alice Allen. In this podcast, we interview poets who've been published in the journal and we discuss work that's important to them. In this episode, Michelle Seminara chats with Trisha Dearborn. Trisha's most recent collection of poetry is The Ringing World, which came out from Puncher and Watman in 2012. She's currently completing her third collection, Autobiochemistry, with the support of an Australia Council grant. Trisha and Michelle have a fantastic chat here about what it is to be a poet who is also a woman, what it is to write from one's own life, and quite a bit about Trisha's upcoming book, how it's coming together, and her writing practice in general. Hope you enjoy this one. Hey Trisha, thank you so much for being on our podcast. Hello Michelle, total delight to be here. Uh, We've had many poems um, by you on Verity La and so I thought it would be fabulous to get you on and have a chat. Um, When I read your writing I'm always struck by the fact that it's often centred around what people might call women's issues or concerns and um, I was wondering if you see your writing in that way because you do a lot of writing about say menopause or the body or um, relationship issues that are very particular to women. So is, is that how you see your writing? I don't really see my writing that way. I guess the way I look at it is that um, I'm a writer who draws heavily on their life for their work, which mm-hmm. is not unusual. Yeah. But I happen to be a woman, so I'm living a woman's life. And so the life that I use tends to you know, relate to what happens to me Mm. as a woman. This is stuff that interests me and fascinates me and is um, part of my day-to-day life. I guess I'm not always writing it. And I guess, look, I do have a particular interest in women's experience, partly because women's experience has been so denigrated and Mm. despised and overlooked and ignored over the years. So I do also have a a special interest in... um, well, it's a special interest and it's also a general interest because I just want to write whatever I want to write. Mm. That happens to be some of the stuff I want to write about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I love it. I love what you say about that. Do you feel that um, writing, writing those things that aren't necessarily written or aren't as well respected when they are written, especially historically, is itself a sort of a, a feminist act or is it just a, just a natural act for you? I feel in a way that a woman living her life exactly the way she wants to is a feminist act. Mm. Women are encouraged, even today, to be quiet, to be passive, Mm. to look up to men, uh, and a woman just living her own life, doing her own thing, writing about whatever the fuck she wants to write about, and living however the fuck she wants to live. I guess I think that's feminist, because... For me, the, the, the root of feminism is that women are people and they have absolutely the same rights, or should have, as men to be seen, to be respected, freedom of action, freedom of thought, freedom of speech. That's, you know, feminism for me, really. So when I live how I want to and write how I want to, I guess I do consider that a feminist act. Mm. Amen to that, Trisha. Yeah. <laughs> Amen, sister. <laughs> so that brings us to menopause. Ah, menopause. Nice segue there. Um, so <laughs> one of my favourite poems that we've published uh, in Verity La is um, your little perimenopause sort of um, 
series and mm-hmm. so we published one um, perimenopause as a chance to get a few things off my mother's chest and yes. I, I really um, well this poem resonated with me I'm wondering if you could read it for us and then we'll have a little chat sure so this is from the perimenopause sequence which is called the change some notes from the field perimenopause as a chance to get a few things off my mother's chest my mother and I are not alike in temperament or constitution. Though at 12 she told me, ruefully, I had her thighs. And at 16, a stranger in a shop spoke my mother's maiden name, asked, was I her daughter? Why do I find her grievances now curled under my tongue, her rage surging down my arms? My mother marched off to bash the pans in the kitchen while she cooked. I storm off many times, returning to speak and speak my dissatisfactions, which I hear and recognise as hers, neglect, lack of appreciation. My mother threatened to throttle us when we misbehaved. She didn't. She throttled herself. And now I speak it. Mm, so good. I, I love the endings to your poems. You often like sort of do the final little twist of the knife. I really, really enjoy that. Thank you. <laughs> it's a funny compliment, isn't it? <laughs> final <laughs> twist of the knife. I like that. Um, what I, one of the things I love about um, this whole series of poems is that you just speak about the body, the female body, and not sort of necessarily the so-called sexy part of the female body in terms of being young and youthful and fertile. We're talking about the, the perimenopause and the menopause end, mm-hmm. so the older woman's body or the ageing woman's body. And um, that's not something... I can only maybe think of Sharon Old mm-hmm. with her odes, which mm-hmm. are fabulous. I obviously love those. I've been reading them lately. Um, so you're one of the few poets, I think, who's really sort of digging into this area. Is that something you're particularly interested in? Again, I don't really write anything out of interest sort of in doing a particular thing. Mm. But um, I am interested in, I guess I'm interested in my own experience of life. And I think from a very young age, I've had a kind of trust in my experience of life and what I observe. I was actually just remembering the other day being at school, probably in about Um, first grade I think and um, I was just telling my partner this the other day and at this stage people were sort of drawing human figures as a head and if it was a woman there would be a triangle dress and then there were little stick legs and they came down to sort of little oval feet Mm -hmm. but the little oval feet pointed to the left and the right and I was like clearly people people's feet do not point in opposite directions so my little people had feet that pointed both to the right Uh which you know again is not um you know, aesthetically or practically how people's feet work either. But it to me, it was a better representation. And also, everyone else's people were pink. And I was like, people are not pink. So mm-hmm. my people were orange. And again, people are not orange either. But yeah. to me, this was a closer approximation. Mm. So I think going right back, I have a strong kind of um, belief in my own perceptions. Mm. And, uh, and, and that's partly where I write from. I'm just writing about... Also because I, what I really enjoy often in other people's writings is what is it like for you to be alive? Mm-hmm. What's your experience of being alive? How do you perceive the world? How do you perceive yourself? How do you perceive the connections between you and other people? These mm-hmm. are things that fascinate me mm-hmm. and they're, they're things that I write about. So now I'm writing a sequence of poems about perimenopause 
And that's because that's one of the places I am now. That's one of the, my experiences of life now. Mm. So, and I'm interested to explore it mm. and, can, and see, can I make this into art? Can I make this into... Um, I tend not to think about audience, actually. I'm really very focused on the poems themselves. But, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see, can I... Um, and also because I think writing for me is a way of making sense of life. Uh, often I actually don't see the sense until ages after I've written the actual poem, but that's part of what I'm doing, I think, is that I'm taking in experience, integrating it uh, and using it and, uh, yeah, creating something out of that. It's sort of a way, it's just part of the way I live, I think, as well. Yeah, so you've got a really sort of curious mind mm. and you love to observe and I mm -hmm. suppose that ties in with your scientific background mm. as well, in a sense. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, I've been writing almost as long as I can remember and I've been interested in science almost as long as I can remember and I do think even though I've had a lot of people say oh science poetry like oh, no, it's perfect I know it's they, they they call on a lot of the same things mm -hmm. oh the kind of poetry I write anyway this is not true for all poetry and there's lots of different kinds of poetry and mm. you know they have they all have their own validity uh, but the kind of stuff I write does draw heavily on observation um, kind of minute observation I guess and Truth is a word that comes into my head. You know, when you're doing science, you are looking for what is the facts of this. Even though you might go in with a hypothesis A and what you find from your experiment is that your hypothesis is just way off the mark. But you want to find out what is the real deal. Yeah, so you have to be quite open-minded in you a do. sense when you go into science and poetry. That's right. Yeah. yeah, you can't. Oh, God. Poems spear off in all kinds of directions, I find. Or you might start a poem... My partner said to me the other day about something I'd just said to her, you should write a poem about that. And I'm, I used to be very resistant to this. I used to think, go write your own fucking poem. <laughs> but um, I've actually had at least one poem come out of that before. And this time I thought, oh, and it wasn't the thing that I'd just said, but something else. And I started off, this is all very vague, but I started off with that concept in my mind. And then I realised I was writing about something very different. And a poem did come out of that. Mm. Um, I've forgotten what I was saying now. Where did that come from? <laughs> it doesn't matter. We'll move on. Okay. <laughs> you brought uh, another poem along by another poet, um, mm. Colleen Z. Burke. Yes. And you, um, we're going to read that to us. And we normally do that at the end of the podcast, but I thought it might fit now just since we're talking about, you know, the body and that sort of thing, since that's something she also writes about. Okay. I'm just finding this poem, which I have on my phone. So Colleen Z. Burke, who I've actually met years ago, um, but don't know personally, but I came across this poem and it really hit me that there were some things in there that were relevant to my own work and to a lot of people's work, I think. This poem is called Call Around and See Us. I am alone. The house is empty. It breathes. It creaks like people walking slow. The Greeks next door but one are having a barbecue. I hear them singing through the cracks, singing loudly. They sound happy. I stood for a while, feeling the warm skin of the frangipani flowers, listening to them falling dead around me, burning the dark grass, smelling the music, wood smoke. Sometimes the Greeks and I say hello, but mostly we don't. Maybe we are shy. Maybe. I sit here alone and think of the men friends who criticise my writing for being too personal, whatever that means. Ah, uh, I know. 
And ever since I can remember, I strove to be depersonalised. Did you? Dark, interesting colours avoided. Sunlight rarely spoke, never lost my Irish temper. Sometimes smiled, mostly hovered. Sometimes thought of suicide, mostly hovered, passive, invisible, watching others act and refraining, myself invisible. Sometimes looked obliquely through windows and doors, and people called me efficient. Fallen flowers singe the darkness, the petals are warm, like skin. I still have my role, my invisibility, but changed, older, different. I am uneasy in these close-fitting garments. And to my male friends, I say, I will talk about you, me, us women. I will drag us out of cupboards, expose us because we are personal, dark, burning flowers of madness, alive, alone together. And we are going to criticise you, your world, say our clothes are too small and that the house is empty and has always been empty. And we say to you, Look at yourselves if you have the guts. Call around and see us. But we are going out. That's fabulous. Thank you, Trisha. Thank you for um, putting me on to Colleen Zed Burke. I'm mm. going to absolutely um, look up more of her mm. work now. It's um, What I really loved there was that um, line where she talked about being depersonalised. Yes, you know, yes. And this sense that there's this dark burning underneath, um, hidden away, which she's going to speak. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think the thing is um, often, and I guess this is from a, well, no, it's often women are seen as being, what I'm trying to say is I think often the male is seen as the norm. Mm. So if you're a woman, you're kind of, you're doing something that society thinks you shouldn't be doing. You're being, you know, you're not being what people are meant to be. And so yes. the thing about depersonalise, it makes me think of women sort of stripping away their own experiences so that they can fit with this yes. so-called norm. Yeah. And it also makes me think of, um, for me anyway, there's this, the things that often happen to women and girls in terms of sexual abuse, let's say, can lead to another kind of depersonalisation, mm. um, you know, dissociation, which is really common mm. with women, men too, but, you know, let's face it, it's mainly women yeah. uh, who are abused as children and mm. that this is another way that women's voices are taken away, um, their connection with their own bodies can be lost. Mm. Uh, and, yeah, so that's another thing that pops in my mind when I think of, yeah, depersonalisation, ways that... Uh, women have their sort of personhood stripped away from them mm, yeah absolutely yeah it's um it's a very powerful poem um it reminds me a little bit of your next one which i'd like to speak about um i text you a photo of my knitting mm -hmm. so talking about you know um i suppose things that are revealed or hidden um this poem very much has a sense of that which i really enjoy would you like to read that one for us? Sure. Lots of reading today. Yeah. I text you a photo of my knitting. The knitting lies curved along its cable. It rests on the pattern which covers my journal, in which is secreted my dream of two nights ago. The one where I called our father a cunt, a complete cunt, then walked out of the house past the bedroom we shared from the day they brought you home in a bassinet. Will you feel it? Can my dream, through layers of paper and card, 
through wool and plastic and steel, through the ether via satellite, find you, transmit to you what you've forbidden me to speak of. Thank you. I love that poem. Um, what I really sense in it, and correct me absolutely since you're here, fabulous, if I'm wrong, um, is a sense of sort of intergenerational trauma perhaps or just um, secrets or experiences coming down through the female line. Um, is, is that something you were thinking of there? I hadn't or? actually thought of that with this poem. There's mm. certainly uh, secrets, yes, definitely secrets. Mm. And the ways uh, families can have their rules for silence. Certain things can be talked of. Certain things are, in fact, kind of promoted. And other things are swept under the carpet and silenced if they do come up. And almost that kind of silence where you almost can't know about something because it's so unknowable in the family. You can't know that mm. because it goes against the family's idea of itself. Um, I wrote a poem recently, well not that recently, probably about a year ago, called, oh I can't remember its name, but I can remember <laughs> the image that the poem came out of, which is of my own family in amber. Like, Have you ever seen insects in amber? Yes, yes. This was my family in amber and, and it was sort of all of us stuck in this stuff that was kind of kind of solid, kind of sticky, kind of obscure, mm -hmm. held at a distance from each other, unable to move. And it was about actually escaping that mm -hmm. amber. And, that, and uh, part of it was that moment where you actually get your head out of the amber and go, oh, my God, the whole world is not made of amber. Yes, there's that moment, isn't there, yeah. as you grow up and you, ooh. That's right. Well, for me, it came fairly late in the piece. Yes. but. So, yeah, this whole idea of families and what certain families, um, oh, the whole sort of setup and what it kind mm. of forbids you from doing, forbids you from yes. seeing and forbids you from knowing. Yes, and speaking and perhaps writing about as well. Mm, that's so right. So if you do start writing about these things because as you um, go through life, you start questioning what you just took for granted as a youngster, the way your family was set up. And if you start exploring that through your writing, how does that work? That could be tricky. It can be tricky because it involves other people. So um, my life is grist for the writing mill but my life intersects with other people's lives and uh, <laughs> that, that last poem is actually a fairly good example that poem's going to be in my next book and it features a dream where I call my father a complete cunt so yeah what's dad going to think about that one <laughs> I'm not sure I've had other poems that dad's featured in not in you know quite so uncomplimentary a fashion and He's actually been kind of chuffed because he's in a poem, but I don't know whether that's going to get this one over the line. So you do, and I have had instances in my last book, there was a poem that um, included my sister and my brother-in-law, and my sister was not very happy about it. So you, if you do draw from your own life, and if your own life involves other people, which can hardly not, but if you happen to write about that, then there are always these questions about what is it, um, fair to include how much trouble am I going to get if I include this bit because it really needs to be in the poem um, there's a whole rat's nest of <laughs> and where do you fall on the line of that do you say yes or no I look I have actually modified something once in a poem and, uh, and that poem actually ended up getting ditched from the sequence it was in and I don't think it was actually because of that but I do wonder would it have stayed in in its, in its mm. modified form. Generally, I'm on the side of the poem. 
which can you know cause further trouble but I do find that even though I'm uh, sympathetic I can see the other person's point of view like but you included my words they're my words it's like yes but they're part of my poem and they belong there and and that's what I'm focused on I'm focused on the poem so Mm -hmm. I have to say I fall on the side of ruthlessness Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> as difficult as that can make life and as unfair as it may be to other people. Mm. Oh, that's very, very interesting. So do your family, when you put out a, a book, you know, you've put out The Ringing World, you'll put out your next book, you know, soon, um, mm. do your family read it? Yeah, well, they all read the last one. And, uh, well, it's interesting. Okay, my sister was very pissed off about a couple of poems that were in it. and And to be fair, it was... It was around events that were very traumatic for her. She lost a child very late in pregnancy and uh, hugely traumatic, you know, for everyone, but of course, particularly and mainly for her. So a very sort of loaded area. So she was angry about some of the poems. Um, One of my brothers is always, I know, he's pissed off with me because I have not written a poem about him. It's like, I'm sorry, I, I have to write what comes. I have to work with what I'm kind of given in a way, wherever they are coming from. So he's he's sort of simmering away, thinking, why doesn't she write a poem about me? I don't think my other brother cares. Uh, and my mother is, oh, my mother is also angry with me about a poem in that book because I wrote about um, she used to, she used to threaten us with a wooden spoon, mm-hmm. which had a happy face on one side and an angry that face on the, the other. That was 70s. That was just... <laughs> <laughs> it's probably quite... But she hates it that that poem is in there, mm-hmm. which, again, I you know, I can kind of understand, but that was the fact. That was mm-hmm. the truth. That mm-hmm. affected me and probably my siblings, and um, they're not writers, so they're not going to write about it, but mm-hmm. I'm a writer, so I'm going to write about yeah. it. Yeah. And once again, that sort of scientific mind dissecting that experience and... Um, yeah, erring, well, just zeroing in on the truth. Yeah. It's interesting, though, that you say scientific mind because I do think that um, you're dead right in terms of observation and accuracy. Mm-hmm. But the truth that I'm really interested in is emotional truth. Mm. Um, I think most of the things that I write are, are, are connected to things that affect me deeply emotionally. Right. So even if I'm writing a poem called, uh, let's say, Calcium, mm-hmm. and there is a poem called Calcium, in my book that's going to be coming out, it's actually, and the calcium is in there, calcium carbonate is in that poem, but the poem is more about me as a as an undergraduate in my lab, measuring out the, you know, doing my biochemistry honours degree, not knowing what I'm doing with my life. Mm-hmm. And it's also, I think, kind of indirectly about writing and what yeah. that is in my life. So mm. it's the it's the emotional that I think really draws me, even though precision and accuracy um, are, are crucial too in my writing. Yeah, yeah. De- definitely with your writing, um, there's always, I feel, quite a strong emotional charge. Um, and I'm wondering if you think that sometimes when women write with an emotional charge, if they tend to get a little bit sort of... Um, dismissed for that you know that's for being emotional messy or just just that's not important it's just messy <gasps> hysterical women's business oh let's pop God. it over here with all that other confessional poetry and you know get back to the real deal I don't know that's a feeling I sometimes yeah get. yeah and I just think the emotional is such an enormously crucially important part of life I mean this seems mm. to me self-evident but I've also had the experience of growing up in a family where the emotional was dismissed right. out of hand any emotion that wasn't um, 
happiness, jokiness, humour mm-hmm. uh, or curiosity, those two things were definitely fostered. But everything else was like sadness, no. Nah. Anger, no. Nah. Pretty jealousy, no. Nah. Mm-hmm. Um, resentment. Any, you could probably pick any other emotion and it was pretty much uh, discouraged slash invisible. So that was the kind of arena that I came out of and then there was this process in my sort of probably mid to late 20s of realizing I'm an emotional person I'm a human being therefore I have emotions and discovering how absolutely critical that is to having a connected well-rounded alive life so and discovering also that was when you know I've I've written since I was small I've wanted to be a writer right through my life. And in my 20s, I would be like, why am I not writing, beating myself over the head? I'm thinking of Alice Allen at this moment. Uh, And what I discovered was when I got in touch with my emotional life, that was when the poems started kind of pouring through. And it's like, okay, when I feel stuff, I write. Mm. The writing isn't just feeling. It isn't just documenting feelings. It isn't just writing about feelings. But it, it is a crucial yeah. ingredient yeah, in, in the writing it, with, without that. I mean, I think if I hadn't actually got in touch with my emotional life at that point, I'd probably be dead at the moment. Mm. So, you know, crucial for life, but I think also crucial for writing. Mm. Absolutely. So uh, when did you, in your own mind, transition into being a poet, someone you would call yourself, you know, oh, a poet? since I was little. Okay. And I was kind of lucky... I think, uh, look, I wrote my first poem that I can remember when I was, I think, seven because in a class I was in, the teacher came in and said, we're going to, it's Easter and we're going to write poems about Easter. Mm. So, and I also want to remember about that is that everyone else in the class was writing poems about the Easter bunny and fluffy chicks and my poem was called The Crucifixion. Now, I was at a Catholic <laughs> school, uh, so, yeah, obviously that's, that's the focus of Easter. but So that was what my poem was about. And it's quite uh, intense, shall we say. Do you still have it? I do. Oh, I wish I'd asked you to bring that in. <laughs> <Do you laughs> I can actually it? recite a little yes, bit for you. Please, okay. Yes. The Crucifixion. Jesus died upon the cross to save us from our sins. So against the devil's power, the human race would win. That's the first wow. stanza. And there's another stanza. And I... Uh, the thorns adorned his head, and as he hung there dying, his hands and feet they bled. Wow! That's my You've first. Always poem. liked a good knife. Knife. <laughs> <laughs> Twist to the knife yeah. ending. Yeah. So, and from then on, I wrote poetry. I had a little book when I was eight. I remember that I used to write my poems mm-hmm. into. When I was eleven, I was lucky enough to be recommended a book. Uh, by my fabulous teacher of the time, who was then called Sister Bernadine and is now called Sister Kath, and who's a friend. Um, she recommended Emily of New Moon, which is an Ellen Montgomery book. Ellen Montgomery, oh, most yes. people know for Anne of Green Gables, which is a fabulous book. Uh, Emily of New Moon, however, is like, <laughs> say my totem animal, that's ridiculous. But it's a really, um, actually, Alice Munro, I read a thing by Alice Munro where she was saying that was a watershed book for her, oh. and it was a watershed book for me. Uh, At the end of that book, Emily, who's the heroine, starts keeping a diary. That's when I started keeping a diary. Mm -hmm. And she was a poet and she knew she was a poet. And I think that for me, I saw that a woman, who was actually a girl at that point, Mm -hmm. a girl could know she was a poet and know that was a significant and important thing, that she had important work to do in the world 
and that that was sort of the thing that her life was focused on and organised around. Mm. So I love that book and I go back and read it periodically. I haven't read it. I'm going oh to Oh, my now. God. I better read it to my daughter You must then. read it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so I guess partly, I think partly, I don't know why, but, yeah, you know, pretty much since I was writing poems, I didn't even think twice about it. I was a writer and I was writing poems and then that book, I think, helped... Mm. Um, expand that mm. and solidify it for me. I think. Yeah, wonderful. It made it. It seemed that it was possible. Absolutely possible. Thing, well, I was already doing it, but this was someone who mm. had their sights set on doing it, sort of more out in the world, perhaps. Mm. I was more doing it for myself before, I think, yeah. and then I'm still doing it for myself. But then there's also that externalization. There's also that yes. putting it out into the world. Yes. Which, Which. nice segue there. Thank mm. you. You You're will welcome. be doing very soon with your new collection, so Autobiochemistry, which is a fabulous title. Thank you. So could you tell us um, how that is coming along? Well, um, I was fortunate enough to get an Australia Council grant in the last round and uh, I'm completely ecstatic about that. Mm. And I applied for that grant uh, to help me complete this book, Autobiochemistry, which is my third collection of poetry. And how it's coming along, I have, I have a manuscript. It's all in, pretty much all in one file at the moment, but it's very, it's, it's sort of organised and disorganised. There are lots of poems in there that are finished. There are lots of poems in there that are finished and published, you know, in journals and things. And uh, there are things in there that are notes. There are things in there that are partway through. Um, I, I had a residential fellowship at Varuna earlier this year, back in February. And that was great because I went along thinking, oh, you know, I might research some stuff, I might write some stuff. And what I actually ended up doing was... Uh, restructuring the collection as it was then so I've done some structural work on it uh, but yeah at the moment it's a big glorious mess and this grant is going to give me the time to work on that big glorious mess and carve what I hope will be a really strong collection out of it oh wonderful so I, I can't let you go without asking a question from Alice who couldn't be here with us but she really wants you to talk about your practice of writing, mm. what does it look like on it? So you've got this next month, which you say you'll be free to sit down and, and write and sort yeah. out your glorious mess, and that yeah. sounds wonderful. So how does that look? What do you do? How does that look? Well, and this is the first chunk. I'm actually taking the grant time in chunks this time because I work as a freelancer and you can't be away too long before you know people start forgetting you, and I need that regular work, obviously, and regular clients. So, But I'm going to take chunks off. So the way it looks for me, I feel like it might be a bit different to last time. The last time I had a grant, uh, I remember talking to Alice about this once, what I, um, I really flopped around for some time at the beginning. I didn't, uh, I don't know, that's what, when I remember, I just remember flopping around. I don't think I was writing, I wasn't really doing anything productive towards the collection. I just had this time where I was just sort of aimless and focuslessness and just, now, I wasn't really beating myself up about it. I think I was actually probably enjoying myself. But, you know, at some point what happened was that it dawned on me that, um, well, you know how poetry publishers like you to have had quite a bit of your collection already published. They like mm. to know that people have seen your work, people maybe like your work, people yeah. will look out for you, people will read a book that you publish or even look forward to it, mm -hmm. whatever. So um, 
So what occurred to me to do was I thought, oh, I've got to send this stuff out because I think at that stage I'd had some published but maybe not a huge amount. Mm -hmm. So what I started doing was researching. And you need time to do this. This is one of the things that grant time is valuable for. It's not just the writing time. It's not just the researching time. It's not just the rewriting time. It's not even just the reading time and the dreaming time. You actually need time to work out um, well, in the initial stages, where can I send these poems where they stand a good chance of being published? Uh, or, you know, where will I just take a shot at? Where would I like to be published? Then you're sort of working up to where am I going to send this collection? But those things also take time. So what I did was I chose the places I wanted to be published. I looked through what I had. I went, oh, OK, I'd like to send these five. And then maybe two of those were finished and three weren't. So I worked on those three. Mm. I worked until I had those five ready to go out. So I became like this little project, <laughs> yeah, yeah, little I was thinking of a sausage machine, and it's you know it's <laughs> it was much more intellectually and emotionally and creatively involved than a sausage machine, but it did give me a process, and so that's what I did. And I remember at one stage I had I think forty three poems out in various places, mm. and it was actually really fun. Mm. It was actually really fun and very exciting, and you know sometimes you're getting acceptances and woo and oh they took two, and <laughs> and then sometimes you're getting rejections. You just Oh, this is one thing I will note. I keep a record of everything that goes everywhere. And if something gets accepted, I write into my little, which this thing which I sometimes print out and put up on my notice board, but often it's just sitting on my computer. Mm -hmm. So if I get an acceptance, I write in my little form under the notes column, yes, with many exclamation marks and maybe a few notes about, you know, maybe they also said something nice about it. Or So I kind of celebrate it. If it doesn't get accepted, it goes straight off my working list of things. I just delete it. And in my, uh, my kind of permanent list of, I have a different file, which is just a total record of everything that's gone out or that I get commissioned to do or asked to do, or mm -hmm. every, grants, everything's in there. And in those ones, I just put dash, 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 and it's over. I don't think about it again. Oh. So I make sure that the things that are... Uh, small triumphs get celebrated mm. and the things that, um, you know, they don't want it for whatever reason and people are free in the world, they don't have to take my work mm -hmm. and it's gone. It'll go out somewhere else. Mm. Oh, thank you. That's, I think you're way more organised than me, number one. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it's, it's a nice way of thinking about it. And I suppose, really, the more you send out and the more rejections you get, the less they sting. So you just roll on. Sometimes, sometimes they sting because it's somewhere where you'd really like to be published. Even, mm. you know, even after all these years, I find certain rejections, I think, oh. And other rejections, I'm just like, okay, where will I send this one next? So it varies. Mm. But you do have to be... And I think that's what helps me deal with the inevitable rejections is that I remind myself that people are free in the world yes, and yeah. they get to decide what they like and what they publish, mm. just like I get to decide what I write about and how I write about it. Mm. So, you know, that yeah. all seems fitting. It is. It's a very good way of thinking about it, very pragmatic. Um, so you're a writer who, it seems to me, quite... Uh, doesn't doesn't turn her nose up at a bit of downtime. No. The, the importance of having some time to, to dream and mm. let things just sort of percolate around in the mind. So, um, it, is that is that true of you? Do you think? Oh, absolutely. Because, um, well, I'll give you an example. This is going a few years back, but I always remember this day. And I think I had been really busy at work, and this was when I was working as an editor in-house, and that can be pretty much of a nightmare. Mm. And so I'd had this really busy week, 
and um, or really busy day. And then I think I'd had something on after work. So I got home really late, really exhausted. Actually, no, that's the wrong story. I'm thinking of two different things here. The story I was going to tell you <laughs> was actually a weekend when I got up and probably made a cup of tea. I think I went out and bought the paper. And I remember lying around on my bed, probably reading a bit of the paper, maybe doing the crossword. And sometimes just lying there. I listened to music. I think I went to the park and lay on the grass. Sounds fabulous. It was already. really good. <laughs> I know. And this is what I did all day. And I think I was really worn out from work. And I just remember thinking, I'm just going to do whatever I feel like today. Mm. So I had this day of just absolutely doing whatever I felt like in the moment. And a lot of it involved nothing much at all. Mm. And that night, or no, earlier than that night, probably about six o'clock, suddenly I had, I think, an idea for a poem or several ideas for several poems, and I ended up writing from six till midnight or mm. something like that. So out of that um, doing nothing in particular time came an incredibly fertile, and I think I did exactly the same thing the next day. Mm -hmm. So I have a great respect for time spent doing nothing much at all because mm. often it's, um, it's vital, and I don't even know why. Like people will say, oh, recharging, blah, blah. I have no idea why, but I know that that's necessary time mm. and I think of actually Dorothy Porter mm. I remember reading in an interview with her she said something like um, I like to have a lot of idleness around the work ah that's very I thought good. that's nice yeah, yeah. Um, and that and, and it also kind of suits me I'm someone who really has to go with the energy they have at the moment mm. so if I need to write I really need to be writing and I need to do it as long as that's happening mm. but if I'm needing to be doing nothing I also really need that too and that not, that not knowing where the poem comes from mm. is a beautiful thing. I think when you do write poetry in particular, they are sort of little, I don't know, little emotional snaps. They carry an energy of their own, each poem. Mm. And where it comes from, you don't know, but you've got to grab it when it comes. You absolutely do. And, and find its form and get it in some form down there so it doesn't slip away because I think they're slippery little suckers, aren't they? I can't not write them. It doesn't matter what. The, the other story that I'd started to tell, and I don't know why, was of getting into bed really late after a hugely, hugely, huge day um, and turning off the light at midnight and lying there in bed and suddenly there was like a bit of a poem there and I was like, no, no. <laughs> and then there was a bit of another poem there and then there was a bit of, I had three poems starting in my head. Yeah. It's like a word or an image, words, and then they're agglomerating, they're mm. becoming phrases and then becoming lines mm. and then there's just no way out and I had to get up. Switched on the light. <laughs> yeah, switched on the light, got up and I think I wrote till two in the morning. Yeah, you do, no, you just you have do. to, when they're there. Yeah. You also, it's like one of the most intense joys of my life. Mm. Why would you say no to that? Very good point. Very good point. And you don't know where or when the next one's coming from. No. So you've got to grab the ones that come. I yeah. Think. And I think um, with your poetry, dreams seem to be a part of um, what informs your uh, poems as well. Yeah, yeah. They, they definitely are. I mean, I have a I have a huge interest in dreams anyway mm. and I've, I've written all my dreams. Well, I keep a journal and one of the things I do is write my dreams and I've probably been doing that, writing dreams down for probably 20 years or something. Oh. I think because I was interested in dreams and I read somewhere that if you wrote them down, they would, they would come more often mm. and actually I found myself a bit overwhelmed by them and I had to kind of ease back at some point and oh, now yeah. I sometimes do and sometimes don't write them down. Although I err on the side of... Um, mm. recording them but particularly if there's some kind of emotional charge or there's some 
some of them have kind of come along just frizzling with meaning, mm. you know, that there's some significance to them. And so I will certainly write those ones down. And, yeah, sometimes I also do inform poems. I do have poems that have – well, actually, that um, I text you a photo of my knitting. Mm. Part of that was that um, – that might have even begun with me writing about that dream. I don't actually really mm. remember. When you do, when you have those dreams, do you actually dream phrases and words, or is it more just? No, I don't think I have ever. Sometimes I have. Recently, I woke up in the morning with a part of a poem in my head. I mean, a part that I hadn't written yet that I got up and wrote and became part Mm. of that poem that I was working on. But I don't know that I have ever. I do dream words, but they're often. they're often really ridiculous or interesting but yeah they don't I don't tend to dream dream my poems no mm, that would be nice wouldn't yeah. it <laughs> well but I don't know it wouldn't be nice I love oh, that it would process take, yeah you're right it would take the fun out of it yeah yeah so I bring up dreams because the last uh, poem I would love you to read for us is called The Running Doll and so oh, yes. we're recording this podcast on the 31st of October so Halloween Halloween and it's a Tuesday which is a very dull publishing day so I thought what better day than to publish your fabulous poem The Running Doll so when this one dropped into the submittable inbox I thought Oh, it's so spooky. I love it. (laughs) And immediately we accepted it. Um, And so then I thought today was the perfect day to publish it. And since today's Halloween, I might get you to read it in a spooky voice. No, I'm joking. Oh, no, not the spooky (laughs) voice. Normal voice. All right, normal voice, normal voice. Um, Yes, maybe we'll read that one and have a quick chat. All righty. The Running Doll. The doll in my dream is one of those old-fashioned plastic dolls with arms and legs that move. But this doll has no arms, no head. As it runs, its naked torso turns rhythmically from side to side, almost as if its body were saying no. As it turns, you can see into first one armhole, then the other. The doll is hollow, its chest empty. Armless, the doll can't push away. Headless, it can't understand or strategize. Lungless, mouthless, It can't cry out. How easy to stoop and catch a running doll to make it do what you want it to do. Fabulous. Thank you. Um, I I can't say I really know what this poem is about or means, but I absolutely love it. And it's I think it's that, that sense of helplessness of the doll that is so disturbing. Yes. Mm. And, and again, this did come from a dream. And, and this one did come from me. I knew I wanted to write about it. And for me, it was sort of the same. I didn't really know what it was about, but it mm. had some kind of power for mm, me. Absolutely. So I started just by describing the dream. And I, looking back on it now, and this is often how it works for me with my own poetry, I, I, I write something and I can tell that it's right, you know, for me, uh, and then later I can look back on it and go, oh, yeah. So I do think this poem is is to do with uh, helplessness, yes. Uh, also, that thing we were talking about early, depersonalisation. Yes. The doll has no head, she has no arms. Mm. All these different powers have been taken away from her and she's empty, empty. Again, mm. I think of dissociation and depersonalisation. Ah, yes. Uh, and yes, and the helplessness of children mm. who can't, you know, they're usually, if they are being abused, they're usually in a position where they can't really, they can't stop it. Um, if they're lucky, they might be able to tell someone, but if you read the research, often nothing happens anyway. Yeah doesn't That's save true. them uh so yeah for me it felt like uh this poem which which i 
too find creepy. Uh, to me, anyways, at the moment, all I what I can say is that yeah, that, those are the the sort of the things that come through for me out of it. This sort mm. of sense of, and also the helplessness of the running doll. In the dream, the doll was running towards me and running and running and running and running, but not getting anywhere. Mm. Really, she was staying in the same place. Um, I hate that. Yeah, yes. I know. And usually in a dream when that happens, it's it's me running. Yes. And I often, it's not so much staying in the same place, but running almost as if you're running through uh, quicksand or something. You can barely move. But, yeah, in this dream it was this running. But when I look at the dream, the doll was staying where she was. So, again, this helplessness of not being able to move, not being able to uh, change your situation. Absolutely. You know, one of the things I, I loved about the poem when I first read it was the way you used the line breaks um, to give the rhythm of the running doll. You know, um, it's very clever. I know we can't see that on a podcast, but <laughs> the um, by the time this is published, uh, the podcast on Verity La, the uh, poem, the written poem will be up there as well. So I urge everyone to have a little look because it's actually very, very clever, cleverly done. Oh, I could see you. that doll tilting from side to side as she ran in those line breaks. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, Trisha. We probably best um, best finish up before we get kicked out of our little recording room. <laughs> but it's been such a pleasure to thank talk you. to you. Thank you. It's really been a pleasure to... It's, it's always so... Um, I mean, it's it's fun getting to talk about your own work and with someone who's it interested is. in it. And it's also interesting to hear someone else's view of it. It can be illuminating to hear mm. someone else's view True. of your writing. And also, it's just so much fun talking about the writing process mm. because um, it's so, I don't know, it's so wonderful. It is so wonderful. And only another poetry nerd really appreciates <laughs> that and wants to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. And so when can we expect autobiochemistry to come out? Well, that's a very good question because, you know, I'm at the moment I'm focused on the writing of it. But once I have it more, once it's feeling more like a complete finished manuscript, I will be, you know, looking for a publisher mm-hmm. as you do, sorting out you know, who looks like it would be a good home, who might be interested to, to have my... Mm. And I don't actually know... I don't really know what it's like out there at the moment because it's been a while. My last book was published in 2012. Mm. And, you know, what happens? Um, like one press that would have published me has gone out of business. Um, other presses have sprung up. So mm. the, it's it's always changing in poetry. So it's it's... I can't tell you who's, you know, I'm going to be doing that thing and mm. you know looking for a publisher once yes. once I've actually finished yeah that's another part of the process it is isn't it, it is yeah. and you need time to do that too but yeah so at the moment my main focus is on the work itself mm. but you know and probably partly I'll be starting to look around now that I've actually got this time where I can just focus on the writing yeah I will be sort of looking to see what out what's out there what looks good okay well good luck with it and thank we can't you. wait to read it thank you so okay. much thank you Trisha thank you Let him walk down your hallway It's not this quiet